the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I know you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today as we begin the Novena to the Immaculate Conception, we always traditionally begin on this feast of the Apostle Saint Andrew, the brother of the head of the Apostles, Saint Peter. As we know, both were fishermen who, when called upon by our Lord, would just drop all their nets, their professional activity, their friends, their connections, to follow this man, this rabbi, whom they had met on the familiar shores of the Lake of Gennesaret. They left all that to follow him. And Andrew and Peter were not the most brilliant uh, intellectuals or philosophers. They were just working, working Joes. They had pretty normal lives, not much of an intellectual formation. But coming in contact with Jesus made them really on fire to follow this man. So much so that their lives were completely transformed and this adventure of theirs, well, you could say, really became a turning point in history. How is it possible that these, these ordinary men, these, these working Joes, could transform history so dramatically? Well, it certainly wasn't possible because of their own personal qualities or certainly not their intellectual acumen. They were just too normal for that. Yet we know that though being normal, they were completely transformed and invigorated in a supernatural sense by the power of the Holy Spirit, which they had received as his chosen ones on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly the power of God acted in them in a way that nobody would have ever imagined. Suddenly they could remember all the words of Jesus, all the scenarios that they had seen him in, in and uh, they were given such a zeal and such a, such a dynamism, this irrepressible desire to spread the church, to spread all those ideas that Jesus had told them, and nothing could stop them. No human authority, no emperor, nothing was going to get in their way ever. In fact, human powers did get in their way. But that did not stop their project from being spread all over the world, like wild, wildfire in a dry forest. There's no way to stop them. And we know that Andrew preached the gospel in Greece. And there, as tradition has it, in the city of Patras, he was martyred 
And he died, nailed to a cross, exactly like his divine master. The priests of Akaya, who witnessed his death, write that his desire to be identified with Christ was so great that when he was being led toward the place of his martyrdom, and there he could see the cross in the distance, he began to cry out a beautiful prayer that has been conserved, that famous Latin phrase, O bona crux, que decorum ex membris domini suscepisti. O good cross, made beautiful by the body of the Lord. Long have I desired you. Ardently have I loved you. Unceasingly have I sought you out. And now you are ready for my eager soul. It's a, it's a beautiful prayer that shows his ardent zeal. You know, ardently have I loved you, unceasingly have I sought you out. And now I'm ready. I'm ready. He said, receive me from among men and restore me to my master, so that by means of you he may receive me, who by means of you redeemed me. Beautiful prayer that was conserved. I presume it's. Uh, I mean, it's so poetic. It's so beautiful that you know who know who knew that uh, Andrew was able to 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 re- recite such beautiful a beautiful prayer. And uh, that gaze on that instrument of torture in the distance, when he looked upon it like that, was not a gaze of fear or a gaze of anxiety or worry or anxiousness but it was a beautiful act of faith. It was not simply a beautiful prosaic and poetic uh, description of what was going to happen. It was really an act of faith and an expression of love for the Savior. He was now ready to suffer just like our Lord did. Somewhere he must have gotten that strength, that fortitude to embrace a suffering that he no doubt had seen already, probably others that he had seen, like James. And uh, the reason he was able to gaze upon it like that with that faith is because he deeply understood the salvific meaning of the cross. It was not just some painful gallows erected there in front of him in the form of an X, rather than what we know today as the, as the Latin cross. This was the Greek cross, or, or like, like an X. For him, it was not just a gallows. It was this glorious throne. It was the cross that he was going to embrace. And so today, as we begin this novena to the Immaculate Conception, we can pray to St. Andrew to give us that same faith to intercede for us so that we also not be afraid of what the cross really means and the spirit of penance really means in our life, especially now that that we've begun a time of penance, which is Advent, in preparation for the coming of our Lord. He had lived a spirit of penance, and he was ready for that moment as he was led to the gallows. When he saw that, he remembered Jesus' teaching, 
anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I mean, when, he, when he was being led there, he was understanding deeply that he was following our Lord. Following me, he's our Lord said. And even his own brother, St. Peter, had written, and no doubt, I would imagine, either Andrew had read this or he had dictated it. He, when St. Peter said, Christ suffered for us, leaving us as an example that we may follow in his footsteps. So, it's clear that St. Andrew, when he saw that the gallows in the distance, he was ready. Now we know that under the Emperor Constantine, you know, several hundred years later, the bones of St. Andrew were taken to Constantinople. So I guess for a while they were in Jerusalem, but then taken to Constantinople. And then many centuries later, under Pope Pius II, in the 15th century, the relics were taken to Rome. He was uh, from an important family, and they were building, I don't know, churches and stuff. And, uh, and the relics were placed in San Andre in, in, in Valle, which is a beautiful uh, church today, a beautiful basilica in the Via del Corso, designed by the famous architect Carlo Maderno. Carlo Maderno was also responsible for the facade of St. Peter's in Rome, as were many other architects at the time. But Carlo Maderno was a very famous Baroque uh, architect. And uh, this is a beautiful, uh, beautiful basilica. It's got a beautiful painting of St. Andrew. There were many conversions that took place. I know when I was there, we often had masses in English there for the Univ crowds. because it's a large church, and you can pack a lot of people in there. And there's another church as well. It's called San Andre in Quirinale, which is more towards the side of uh, Santa Maria Maggiore. And it's a beautiful Baroque church by Bernini. And uh, when you walk in, you can see at the end, you can, well, it's, it's, it's an oval plan church. If you've ever seen it, all marble. I mean, it's, it's completely designed and built by Bernini, whereas many churches are just, uh, you know, a, a hodgepodge of different artists and, and architects, but this was just purely done by Bernini. And uh, there, as you enter, you see a, a kind of a, an, an altar with columns and stuff around it, and there you see St. Andrew being crucified, and he's looking up as he's crucified, and there's a light that comes down upon him. As, you, as your gaze looks up the light outside of the painting, you go over this entablature, and there he is, popping up into heaven. So you see Andrew being crucified, and then you go up, just by the way it's designed, and you, there he's in a statue on a cloud, basically in heaven. It's a beautiful um, composition and a beautiful ensemble. So we, we too need a conversion during this time of Advent to find a way to be more open to nurturing it within ourselves, forging within ourselves a, a deeper spirit of penance. Not to be afraid, really, of the cross. Not to fear mortification. Everything we understand by mortification, penance, you know, suffering in some way, 
not to be afraid because we may end up thinking that mortifications, ah, it's just absurd, it's just, it's just a pain, you know, as we may think. And uh, St. Paul had to deal with that as he wrote to the Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God, he said. And then he quotes from Isaiah, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. The wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. So the people who, who think they're smarter than us, they will be confounded because they will never be able to arrive at a true meaning of the cross, of penance, of suffering. And so St. Paul continues, he says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews, he said, demand signs. And Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. It's a powerful, I mean, famous and powerful uh, passage you know, in, in which uh, St. Paul wants us to think supernaturally, think and see the reality of penance and suffering in the cross through the eyes of God, through a supernatural prism. That's the kind of wisdom I need from you, Lord. Now, as I begin this time of Advent. Give me some of that wisdom that others may see as foolishness. That wisdom and that vision that St. Andrew was granted when he saw that instrument in the distance. He was granted that wisdom. He embraced it happily. And we can ask, well, do, do I speak of the spirit of penance? Am I living already the spirit of penance that the church is inviting me to have? It seems the way St. Paul talks about it and the way our Lord spoke about it, it's, it's like a call to conversion. As St. Paul says, we have to be convinced that we cannot resurrect with Christ if we do not die with Him. We can't resurrect. If we don't rise with Him through penance, to our sins. And our Lord said, unless you repent, you will all perish in the same manner. Hmm? He was talking about that that uh, tower of Siloam that fell on these people. He said, well, unless you do penance, it'll just, this is like he's saying, your life is just going to be a useless failure, you know, like, like, a, like a tower that just fell apart. You know, it's strong, strong words. Not that we constantly have to make like a concrete list of mortifications or acts of penance, exact things. Yeah, you, we can do that, of course, but, uh, 
But for us to be able to do that, for us to have the, I guess, the energy and the motivation, we really have to have um, a motive to do that, like, like Andrew did. When you imagine St. Andrew, when he saw that, he really had a motive for embracing that. He really understood its value, its beauty, its salvific nature. He had to see this through a supernatural prism. And he would not see that if he somehow saw this as intrinsically meaningless or something. And we see that in the church today and in young people in general. There's sometimes lots of charismatic enthusiasm for the faith and, and uh, many of them love the Pope and uh, many of them are really looking for the truth in a time of great uh, well, relativism or just crazy ideas about the human person. You know, we're, we're in a crisis, an anthropological crisis when it comes to the nature of the human person. And uh, there have been a lot of people reacting to all these crazy ideas that swirl around in the internet and in, and in movies. But for many of these people, however good it is that they rediscover the faith and the gospel, it's sometimes very hard for them to go to the ultimate consequences of our faith. For many it may be a form of religious uh, tourism. Right? Go and see the nice monuments and, and uh, be impressed by them. But then without true sacrifice, true commitment. You'll remember, well, I don't know if you remember, but when the, the famous movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out, it was often criticized for being too gory, too violent, too, too harsh in the way it depicted the crucifixion, the passion of our Lord, and you know, with the appearance of the devil and, and these angry mobs. And, and, it, and indeed it was quite, uh, you know, violent and uh, and this happens also with anti-war movies right if you've seen some very anti-war movies like all quiet on the western front and they're horrifically uh, violent but those movies i find they tend to just leave you completely drained because of the violence you've seen and ba the basic message of those movies is that you know, of course, war is terrible and it's meaningless. It has no meaning, right? And, well, I guess you could say that. That's true. War is terrible and meaningless. You know? But the cross is terrible, but it's not meaningless. It has a salvific purpose. And, um, and that's what we somehow have to integrate into our life and understand the cross in our life, the way it's applied to our life. Not because we're tough and strong, but, but because we've embraced the supernatural meaning of penance, of the cross, of mortification. Like those powerful words of our Lord, yeah, the, the kingdom of heaven has been enduring violent assault, and the violent have been seizing it by force. The kingdom of heaven is it's like it's the only way to get, it's like a mountain you have to get up, and the only way to get up is through some form of violence to, your, to ourselves. And so we understand, Lord, that this is going to require some form of generosity of my spirit. And everything I do is got to be done out of love. The way I work, out of love. The way I live fraternity, out of love. The way I serve, out of love. And ultimately, out of a real desire for conversion. 
these acts where I will deny myself a form of comfort, a, a kind of a distractions, or my, will give my, uh, deny myself little pleasures, eh? so that I can offer them up to God, and uh, let Him have those good things, let Him have those moments of pleasure or comfort. All this should not make us gloomy or tense like we would be at the end of a anti-war movie where you're gloomy because all you've seen is people getting killed left and right and great agony. In the end, what, what do you get out of it? Just more dead bodies, you know. And why is it that people often refuse to mortify themselves or they don't do penance? Is it that they're weak? Is it that they're weak? Well, Pope John Paul II, I think it was 1983, wrote a encyclical letter called Salvifici Dolores, on the, on the salvific meaning of pain. And he said, it, well, it comes down to a real lack of motive to mortify. A lack of motive for really living a spirit of penance. And for us, this has to be conjured up often. It has to come back. And we understand that we need to purify ourselves through a life of penance, through a life of atonement. Our Father said that this, the life of atonement, the life of penance, is a, is a path that leads to life. And if we want to help others to purify themselves of their sins, we can also purify ourselves or atone for them, for the people who don't do anything. We can do it for them. But that requires that we have a deep sense of motive and purpose when we do that. Remember our Father said in the way, don't ask Jesus to forgive only your own faults. Don't love him with your own heart alone. Console him for every offense that has been and will be done to him. Console him. And because... I mean, that's why the Lord died on the cross, because of, of the reality of sin in the world. And we understand that for us, there's no real holiness without a joyful embrace of the cross. That's what we have to somehow get into our, our heads. And if there's no holiness, that means there's no interior life, no real virtue, no real meaning to our prayer life. You know, if we haven't somehow along the way in our life embraced the spirit of penance and um, we might see the different properties that this time of Advent has we might be hearing lots of schmaltzy music and glittery decorations here and there and uh, it's already quite early of course before Christmas but, uh, but for us when we see the colors and all that the lights in the streets. Somewhere there it has to signify a preparation. And we can do that through spirit of penance. But our spirit of penance has to have some properties that make it valid, that make it good. And first and foremost is that our, our spirit of penance has to have a supernatural motive. It's not just like the motive cannot be moderation, you know, keeping my weight down or, uh, you know, some kind of personal human perfection. It's really a question of penance for the love of God, 
correspondence to Jesus who taught that greater love than this has no one that that one laid down his life for his friends. No greater love than this, than to lay down our life. Because he loved me and gave himself up for me, as St. Paul says. I want to lay down my life too, through the spirit of penance. And um, this is what uh, our Father said, if we don't do that with the spirit of penance, I mean, it makes no sense. He says, that is, he said, if you, if you don't do it with a supernatural motive, it makes no sense. He says, in the way, if you lose the supernatural meaning of your life, your charity will be philanthropy, your, pur- your purity, decency, your mortification, stupidity, your discipline, a lash, and all your works, fruitless. So all those things that we might do, and if we don't really have them imbued with the supernatural purpose that is out of love for God, that's what happens to them. So that's the first important thing is we have to keep very supernatural in this. But also our Father wanted us to be very uh, cheerful. When there's love, there's room for cheerfulness. That is, there's no room for some form of resignation just, oh, well, okay, i got to do my more oh, you know, just be totally resigned. It has to be really done with meaning and purpose. And uh, our Father really wanted us to have that sporting attitude. And as he says in uh, that point you may have heard in Furo, he says, it is true that to follow Jesus Christ is to carry the cross. He has said that. He has said so. But I do not like to hear souls who love our Lord. No, he says, but I do not like to hear souls who love our Lord speak so much about crosses and renunciations, because where there is love, it is a willing sacrifice, though it remains hard. And the cross is the holy cross, a soul which knows how to love and give itself in this way, is filled with peace and joy. Therefore, why insist on, quote, sacrifice if you are seeking consolation, if Christ's cross, which is your life, makes you happy? Mm-hmm. So this idea, you know, we have to be happy by offering this penance because we know it will be effective. And then we have, you know, all the interior mortification, you know, cutting off those fantasies, the imagination, the vain memories, uh, disordered affections, uh, curiosity, the, the way we use our phone, and, you know, uh, internet, the use of time, these are all other forms. But again, they have to be done with a real spirit of penance, a sporting spirit, because we know we can be united to the salvific meaning of the cross. And we, today we can ask uh, St. Andrew, as he gazed upon that, that gallows, which was going to be the throne of our Lord, let's ask him to intercede for us so that we really live a good penance with a true meaning of penance. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.